0: Welcome back to another edition of KZMU Radio Book Club. This is Sherry Zollinger and I'm coming in from Back of Beyond Books, joined here in the studio with Jesse from the Grand County Pu- Public Library. Hi,
1: Jesse. Good evening, everyone.
0: And Alyssa is with us today from Back of Beyond Books. Greetings. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. So a couple of things. Um, of course, we come to you every first Monday of the month at 5 p.m. And we, we actually pre-recorded last month, so we're excited to just be back on with you live. And uh, from what I gather, uh, we are actually going to be doing a radiothon. Our radiothon starts on Friday, April 7th. And you can pledge your support to Radio Book Club, our very own little book club, um, at KZMU.org and pick up a hardback radio sticker. And they're really great. We love those little stickers. Yeah, that's
1: a wonderful design. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we
0: like that design. Uh, So please uh, join us for Radiothon. Of course, uh, we are, KZMU is 100% uh, listener-supported uh, well, it is listener-supported. I guess I can't say we're 100%, but we are listener-supported community radio station. That means that we wouldn't be here without your support, financial and otherwise. So we thank you um, and hope you join us. Uh, Radiothon can be actually really fun and uh, kind of build excitement and community around that. <coughs> so, segueing into... What we have queued up for you today for Radio Book Club, we are going to kind of go through a similar uh, pace. We're going to go kind of at a similar pace as we do every month, uh, talking to you about what's happening at our respective institutions, the library and the bookstore. And uh, then from there, we're excited to talk about poetry this month. It's a national poetry month. So we'll uh, be throwing some excitement that way. And uh, talking about indie bestseller lists as well. And just happy to be here talking about books, as always. Right? Right? (laughs) Okay. So let's just dive in a little bit here and get what's happening at the library. Jesse, what's going on over there? Anything you want to tell us about yeah
1: april is a packed month for programming at the library this thursday evening um that's april 6th at 6 p.m at the moab library we're excited to welcome dave vaughn whom we have dubbed the river road raconteur he's a local historian he worked for 17 years with the grand county roads department and um has spent countless hours uh, digging through museum archives and the Fran and turby Barnes photo collection as well as getting to know a lot of um, a lot of our old timers um, families that have lived here for a very very long time to get stories in local lore and history and he's going to share some of the history of Castle Valley and the river road he's got a wonderful uh, photograph slide presentation and he will um, he will share interesting history with us um, he's he's a he's a local treasure for sure Davon um, we're excited to welcome him again that's 6 p.m. this Thursday April 6th at the library free and open to everyone um, and then the next week Thursday also April 13th at 7 p.m. we'll be at Star Hall with um, Roy Webb a, a river historian Um, who is going to start a three-part series. We'll do one a month and he is going to show us archival river films um, and and lecture and tell us um, tell us some of the history of the green and Colorado rivers. Um, Some of the films I believe feature canyons that are now underwater after having been after having been dammed, rivers being dammed and Um, these vintage river films are a real treasure and it's um, very unusual uh, a chance to to see this stuff so join us um, for the first in a series of three thursday april 13th at 7 p.m at star hall and again that is free a couple months ago we had to cancel a a program that we had planned that we have now rescheduled for wednesday april twenty sixth. we welcome chris wilkowski he's a hydrologist with the USGS Utah Water Science Center here in Moab. And um, Chris is going to tell us about the USGS stream gauges, how they work, how to get the data. These are little devices um, that measure water flow on our rivers and our creeks and our streams. Um, He'll give us an intro to how that network works, summary of how gauges measure river stage, um, how to access real-time stream flow information, how to subscribe to water alerts, which will Send an email or text message to a user based on an input threshold. He'll also give us an overview of Moab area gauges and the peaks that were measured during last summer's crazy flood. This is a perfect time. We're about to experience some um, pretty exciting snowmelt, I believe. Our water levels should be rising drastically here in the next month or two. And this is a really um really great information on how to um how to access uh, access that data keep an eye on it and understand what's going on so again that's wednesday april 26th 7 p.m that will be at the library with chris wilkowski usgs stream gauges cool well... Excellent. Stop there. Okay. Yeah. Are you
0: sure? <laughs> Nothing else. <Yep>. Okay. <laughs> Alyssa, I'm going to pay on the spot just a little bit with news from Back of Beyond. I wanted you to give us a little uh, sense of how our intern program turned out. For, we did our first ever intern program, or we brought our first intern. For into Back and Beyond, this last, I guess, trimester is what they call it. Um, how did that all go? It went okay, we're having a technical difficulty here.
2: We, we're we not sure what's going on here, but I everything. can share this one Okay, in the meantime. I think we're good. And talk a little bit about um, the internship program that it's yeah. run through. Uh, the high school, Grant, Grand County Public High School, and uh, we took on our first intern, as you said, Clare, and she came in through the last trimester, and it went so well that we were able to get her to work with us part-time now yep. that her internship is over, so we have a new employee that yes. we're really excited about, and she is at the store in the evenings occasionally and working the register and yep. getting her feet wet in the book buying world and book selling world. We had her write three book reviews mm-hmm.
0: and we've posted yep. one so far. Okay, good, mm-hmm. good.
2: So one you can find on our website and you can find uh, if you scroll back through our Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, she did a review on The Lying Life of Adults mm-hmm. by Ferrante. Um, yes, Ferrante. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Great she choices. Does. She has great book choices. Mm-hmm. Great for reader. Sure. Yeah, great mm-hmm. reader. Cool. Thank you. Uh, We're also, we do have an event, we've come from an event season, really, this last couple of weeks, it just rained and poured down on us, and we had uh, a whole host of different events that were all very successful. (coughs) We do have one coming up on the 21st at 7pm at Back of Beyond, Uh, we are hosting Morgan Sjogren, She's just written a book through, of course, our beloved Tory House Press. It's called Path of Light, A Walk Through Colliding Legacies of Glen Canyon. I just want to give you a little sense for what this book is about. Um, Path of Light treks back through time as author and explorer Morgan Shogren retraces the 1920s expeditions led by Charles Bernheimer into the heart of Glen Canyon and Bears Ears National Monument. Using journals and photographs from the expeditions to recreate these historic routes, Shogren encounters powerful perspectives and stories about land management and human rights issues that carry forth into the present. So um, Shogren, <coughs> as an explorer, defender of wild places, author um, is excited to join us. Again, that's at Back of Beyond Books at 7 p.m. on April 21st, coming up really quickly. So we hope to see you there. We had a real good showing of folks for all the events that went on the last couple of weeks. So thanks for coming. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for for being our audience. Sometimes when we do events, it's like, okay, (laughs) we put the word out. (laughs) Are people going to come? (laughs) Right? Uh,
2: it's always a surprise.
0: <laughs> We've got two of our folks sharing a microphone now, but we're, we're, we're here, we're working it, we're working it all out. Um, okay, so let's do just a little peek at bestsellers of uh, the week. We, we're gonna kinda just look at some of the hardback bestsellers. Uh, Alyssa, is there anything on there that you wanna chat with us about?
2: The one that I want to chat about is Crying in H-Mart. Oh. Mainly because I know we've talked about this before. Um, This book has been on the indie bestseller list for hardcovers for quite some time now. But it finally um, got optioned to be a movie. Oh, really? Yes. No, Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Yeah, it's going to be a movie. The director is going to be Will Sharp, Mm -hmm. who was in the most recent season of White Lotus. Mm. And um, I think that Michelle Zahner is also going to be in it. Hmm. At the very least, she's going to be very closely collaborating with the director, and Hmm. they're going to be adapting that memoir, and I'm really excited about it.
0: I can only imagine the scene where... She's making kimchi. Yes. And I think we've talked about that, you know, that comparison mm-hmm. to the the life and death of, of the human. And she did such, it's like her therapy was making kimchi. Absolutely. Yeah. That's
2: exactly what it was. And it was so well written. And I'm so excited to see how they adapt yes. that in film and how they're able to capture that. Because that is exactly what it was. Kimchi was... Yeah. Her way of processing life and death and mm-hmm. humanity and mortality and her mother and her mother and all of those things are huge topics. Yep. So how do you visually capture that yeah. with someone making kimchi? I'm excited to see.
0: It'll be like a a food bio, you know, like a like the entire thing will be food plus a little bit of narrative. <laughs> yes.
2: And also I love the band Michelle's honor is the front person for uh, Japanese Japanese breakfast. Yeah, so I'm also excited to see how music is intertwined into the movie as well. Nice. Yeah,
0: Jesse, is there anything on that list that kind of just um, makes it to your brain? Um, and out through your there words. are a few
1: <laughs> that I'm just I haven't read, but I've been reading about, and I'm kind of excited about Pineapple Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a recent publication by Jenny Jackson. She was um, has been a really high, um, a, a really great editor of other people's books. I cannot think of some of the examples off the top of my head, but she's edited some really phenomenal novels. Um, over the years and decided to write her own. I believe it was a pandemic project. It started as mm. a pandemic project. Uh, Pineapple Street. It sounds like a, it's going to be um, pretty funny. It takes place in New York City on Pineapple Street. And um, it's, the description says that it's rife with the indulgent pleasures of life among New York's one percenters. It's a smart escapist novel, sparkling with wit, <clears throat> full of recognizable, lovable, if fallible characters. It's about the peculiar unknowability uh, of someone else's family, the miles between the haves and have-nots, and the insanity of first loved, first love all wrapped in a story that is sheer delight. So I'm excited. Um, I think I will be reading that one at some point. Also on the um, indie bestseller list this week, some of you may have sure sh- heard of Ari Shapiro. So he's an NPR commentator, um, What? Oh my gosh! I'm blanking out on a show. It's not All Things Considered. What is? Do you remember what show Ari Shapiro is on again? Oh yes,
0: out. yes, yes, yes. We'll find
1: He's out. He's written a book called "The Best Strangers in the World: Stories from a Life Spent Listening." So he has interviewed people all over the world, um, from you know any kind of any kind of stories, any news events, um, famines, wars, as well um, as uh, all kinds of. Very personal interviews as well. He also tours with the band Pink Martini, which is a really oh really, re- yeah, isn't that crazy? Yep.
0: He there's a music theme. It's uh-huh, already started.
1: Uh huh. So what does he play? Be- I don't even know.
0: Okay, doesn't
1: matter. I'm gonna love oh, it. All things considered, he so is all things, things considered, considered. Yeah. Okay. So we've all heard Ari Shapiro, or, or probably have heard him on the radio, and so he's written a book about his travels and is mostly about um, connections with other people um all just in almost every country you can imagine. So I'm excited about those two books. um cool. bestseller list.
0: Nice. I, there were there's a couple on there I want to do I do want to mention Margaret Atwood has a new um collection of stories actually called Old Babes in the Wood. I haven't read that yet, but it's it's on my list. I think it's something I'll eventually read. I, I actually really like Her, uh, she's had a few other short stories, and she has that, she can pierce pretty quickly. Have you ever read Margaret Atwood's poetry?
2: No, I have been really interested in eventually picking that up. Yeah. Because I know that she does write it, and I can only imagine. Yeah, she just Mm
0: -hmm. gets to, I think there's an ice pick in one, and an eye... A few piercing things so it it seems to me that her stories um, will have that kind of let's get to it quickly and you know something kind of I guess the word piercing is how I'd say it but um, it's always it's always great when there's something ahead of us that we haven't read of Margaret Atwood's and then the other one I wanted to mention and we just cannot (laughs) seem to keep this one in stock um, it's called "The Creative Act: A Way of Being" by Rick Rubin. And of course, we know Rick to be a very famous uh, music producer. Um, I think he's well, maybe into his sixties, seventies, and he's he's literally written this kind of create creativity primer. And the the sections or the chapters are quite small, but. From a lifetime of, I would say, observing the creator, um, observing the artist, also being um, artistic himself, there's, it's, it's one of these books where you get up in the morning, you get your cup of coffee or tea, and you just go through a chapter. Uh, the first chapter of this book is everyone is a creator. I'll just read the first paragraph. Those who do not engage in the traditional arts might be wary of calling themselves artists. They might perceive creativity as something extraordinary or beyond their capabilities, special a calling for the special few who are born with these gifts. Fortunately, this is not the case. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's just this wonderful kind of um, we can all be creative. We all are creative. And it's just a matter of where that lies for you. So that that one, again, it's been on the bestseller for a little while, The Creative Act, A Way of Being by Rick Rubin. I spent a couple of weeks ago, I went to Seattle and went to the Associated Writers and Writing Programs <coughs> Conference, was invited in um, somewhat a little bit of the capacity of being from the bookstore, but also... Uh, invited as someone who writes poetry, and I spent this four days in downtown Seattle just, I guess, sopping up and eating and enjoying and one just wondering over these fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 writers who came together, and just for the <laughs> express purpose of supporting each other in the the writing process and that could be from educators or um, agents or you know anyone that is along the spectrum of the writing uh, industry and and the writing act I while I was there I went to all sorts of amazing lectures and from everything from um, you know, just written on the body, which is uh, learning about writing from the standpoint of, of of your body and how to express that through words, um, to intergenerational origin stories, uh, to um, queer poetics. Uh, and there's another lecture I went to that I'm going to mention a little bit later, but there was, you know, it, it kind of restored, I guess, my faith in poetry. And thinking about uh, National Poetry Month, I just wanted to um, tell y'all out there, poetry is alive and well. It really is. You know, it's sometimes it can be a little bit of an echo chamber or the feedback loop goes out to the, you know, out to the universities and kind of comes back around. But what I got was this sense of... You know, especially poets out there just writing, writing in every way, shape, and form. They're writing. They're writing the weird. They're writing the eccentric. They're writing the queer. They're writing the traditional. And so, it, I'm I'm excited that we're going to pay a little bit of attention to poetry uh, tonight, just because you know it can it can be a little stuffy sometimes. What would you say? Both of you would say about that, Jesse? Do you think it's got sometimes a little bit of a um stigma about it
1: yeah and i think that there's an accessibility a kind of an accessibility issue yes uh, it can be intimidating um if you don't feel like you know the secret formula yes. what this you know what but i think i think poetry um is is more it's more su- subtle or or even Maybe that's not the right word, but it, it's, it's more of the, a feeling than a, yeah. than a, you know, like than an essay. It yes. Has, it has to have a meaning or something. Just like, just absorb it. How did it make you feel? That's the right way. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it, it, yeah, it's like, uh, like art, visual art, even there's no, yes. there's no correct interpretation um, often.
0: My sister, because it's hard for her to read poetry, she said, it's like swatting a mosquito. <laughs> so for her it's like it's buzzing around and she doesn't quite know what to do with it so it's just like okay I'm just gonna swat that because I don't I don't I don't I don't know how to relate to that I don't know you know and and I think that's what happened at the conference a little bit is kind of this idea that um, poetry has historically somewhat been almost deliberately inaccessible Mm -hmm. Alyssa do you have some thoughts on that Yes,
2: And I, like, kind of similar, maybe in a very different way, though, to your sister. I remember only, especially growing up, thinking, like, if poems don't rhyme, then they cannot be poems. I just couldn't understand free verse or haikus or, like, I need a specific rhyming pattern. It must be rhythmic. And I, I mean... It's probably why I enjoy lyrics so much, because they often have a rhythm and a rhyme to it, and so I can follow that, and that in my head made it so I could understand. But outside of that free verse poetry, or really, especially some of the newer poetry that is now available and coming out in anthologies and things like that, it's you have to really work to kind of drop down into what the experience of the poem is hoping you will have (laughs) yes um
0: so for both of you is there a an experience with poetry that you had at a a younger age or initially where you were kind of let in to the experience and it opened up or it opened up your world or jesse did is, is there any Anything in there where a poet really came to you and spoke to you for the first time?
1: Uh, there are a couple of examples. Um, I grew up with A. A. Milne's um, when we were very young and mm. some of his fun poetry. But I think I think one of the first. Um, one of the first poems that really got me was when I discovered William Blake's Tiger Tiger, the tiger poem. And I, I wound up memorizing that just for fun. I was just completely enamored with tigers at the time. And, um, yeah. And I to, Sherry sport in an awesome tiger. (laughs) I wish you could all see us. Um, (laughs) And then, um, and that, that one is definitely rhyming and rhythmic and very classic. Um, but powerful and lovely and I just completely got it when I was I don't know maybe 10 and then about that same age I found the Jabberwocky by oh, Lewis Carroll yes and so delighted that an adult knew how to be just so absurd and silly and had such a just a kooky imagination um of course you know Alice in Wonderland and Through the mm-hmm. Looking Glass is all about that anyway but um, I my grandmother told me she'd give me ten dollars if I memorized a long poem, and so I chose the Jabberwocky. By the time I memorized it and was able to recite it for her, she'd forgotten her promise. But it didn't matter because I had this, I had this this wonderful secret poem. I still I can still recite that to this day. In fact, when I was younger and a little wilder. Uh, I used to know I used to test myself if I could keep I was out with friends having beers or something Uh, if I was kind of on the line like should I start drinking water and go home now if I could recite the Jabberwocky without messing up at all I was free to keep have another drink Uh, and if I if I stumbled over it or forgot any of the lines it was time to call it a night. Now, whether or not I actually adhered to my own little metric, there it's another story. But that was that was the deal, and I'm still I'm still proud. I can recite. the
0: Can we get the first few lines, or is that going to put you on the spot? Not at all. Okay, it was
1: brillig in the slide. The toves <laughs> did gyring gimble in the wave. All Mimsy were the Bora groves and the momraths out grave. Beware the Jabberwock my son the jaws that bite the claws that catch beware the Jubjub bird and shun the frumious bandersnatch he took his vorpal sword in hand long time the manxom foe he sought so rested he by the tum-tum tree and stood awhile in thought and as in uffish thought he stood the jabberwock with eyes of flame came Rustling through the Tolgee wood and burbled as it came, <laughs> one two one two and through and through his vorpal blade went snicker-snack he left it dead and with its head he went galumphing back. Oh. And hast thou slain the Jabberwock come to my arms my beamish boy o oh, frabjous day Kalu callay. He chortled in his joy. Apologies to Carol. I may have uh, flushed some was of that. That was fabulous. And thank you. And the pronunciation, who even knows? Those are made wow. up words. But thank you. I'm still proud of myself
0: that for that one. That was fabulous. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. That was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa. Uh,
2: so you had asked yes. this question. And I thought of a couple. Mm-hmm. But really... The one that goes back the farthest for me is actually a prayer.
0: Mm. I grew up
2: Catholic mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is a good thing that has been seared into my brain or not, but this prayer I used to say it every night before I went to sleep because I thought I would die if I didn't. Oh it's, wow. The prayer is, yes. <laughs> now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I remember being taught that probably when I was three.
0: Wow. And I,
2: I said it every night from this very being a very small child. And I never slept much as a child. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it makes me like, since you asked that question, it made me wonder, I was like, oh. I think I was afraid I was going to die in my sleep because that's what I was taught to say every night right before bed. That
0: incantation. Yeah. It was like an
2: incantation for sleep, except it had the exact opposite effect (laughs) on me and I never, ever slept as a child. (laughs) When
0: did, when would you say you stopped reciting that? Did it go into well into your adult years or was it more just like, no, I think
2: I stopped reciting it around high school. Yeah. Um, but especially like growing up in the Catholic Church, prior up to that, prior to stopping that in high school, I instead of reciting that prayer, for very many years, I would pray the entire Rosary. Wow, which is it's it's quite long. Yeah, it's like five decades, which is five five times rounds of ten Hail Marys an Our Father in the middle, and there, wow. and there's like a specific way to say it. Mm. And there's a more in-depth way to say it with more prayers in each spot. And I always felt like I had to do the more in-depth one because, again, maybe I would die. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Amazing. Well, we've just heard here on KZMU Radio Book Club. Hello, all of you. I hope we have lots of listeners right now because we just heard a couple of recitations that will not be heard again. (laughs) So, well, they will be. It'll be archived. (laughs) But you got it live, and I have a recitation, too. So um, my first real, like, who is a poet was Emily Dickinson. And I remember being really young and hearing this, here's a person named Emily Dickinson, and she lives in her room and never comes out. So my image of her was, and I'm sure she came out, you know, (laughs) was that, and not only did she live in a room, but she was surrounded by white pieces of paper, and so that was my maybe 10, 11, 12-year-old self. And so I decided I needed to find a poem, and here's that one recited. Uh, I died for beauty, but was scarce adjusted in the tomb, when one who died for truth was lain in an adjoining room. He questioned why I failed. For beauty, I replied, and I for truth, the two are one, we brethren are, he said and so as kinsmen met at night we talked um, between the rooms until the moss had reached our lips and covered up our names <laughs> so that was that was mine <laughs> so good <laughs> um so there is kind of you know a little smattering of uh, poetry from our perspective and and how poetry kind of came to us and 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 the one thing that got me really excited about Poetics. One that's absolutely bizarre is I went to a um, lecture on crypto poetics, and so these are crypt- crypto NFT AI, um, you know, poets who are poets on the ground. It's not like they're just creating out there in the in the metaverse, but they, you know, they have books out there, but they're looking at the distribution of poetry through a more digital platform. And it's really exciting. I mean, it's sort of taking poetry into these, this kind of new realm. Um, And then also where poetry's landing, it's, it's now multi genre you know, it's sort of like, let's, there is poetry proper, but then, um, I got excited about the lyric essay, which is all metaphor and and all lyric Mm -hmm. and lyrical. And so poetry is also starting to kind of mush and smash and move its way into other genres as well, which is really exciting. Um, So is is there any other poetry uh, books that either one of you brought, or should we move forward? Anything else in the poetry realm by either one of you? It's okay if not
1: here's a short one now okay. this is um i can't i can't not mention billy collins yeah he of, is course, a of course contemporary poet. he was a uh, the u.s poet laureate um for several years i think during the clinton administration if i remember correctly and his poems if anybody wants to an an, an a gentle entree into poetry mm. that is um extremely well done but extremely very accessible they're very friendly and they're they're, they don't lack depth or resonance at all they're they're absolutely wonderful but they're often funny there's often i hesitate to use the word punchline but his poems usually tie up with a little kicker at the end that just ties the whole thing out perfectly and um they're lovely. They can be about something as simple as sitting in your living room looking out the window at a rainy day with your dog beside you and observing the little old lady next door. I mean, mm-hmm. they are, or, or, or something as, you know, profound as love and death or landscapes or, you know, he, he'll cover the gamut. But they're very, they're very friendly and very accessible. And Billy Collins, um, I often recommend when someone's looking for poetry that's not intimidating. Um, so we've got to mention that. And then for springtime, I love a poem by Robert Frost that I have lost, but I'm going to find it again. So this is one I discovered when I was a teenager. I think it was my uncle gave me a book of poetry by Robert Frost for a birthday present. I was maybe 14 or 15 and loved this one so much. I committed it to memory as well called a cloud shadow it's a good a good one for a, a windy spring day. A breeze discovered my open book and began to flutter the leaves to look for a poem there used to be on spring. I tried to tell her there's no such thing for whom would whom would a poem by on spring be by? The breeze disdained to make reply, and a cloud shadow crossed her face for fear I would make her miss the place.
0: oh, beautiful just. reading a
1: book under a tree in this windy spring day i love that one
0: thank you yeah you're listening to kzmu radio book club we are i just want to remind everyone that radiothon starts on friday april 7th you can pledge your support to radio book club at kzmu.org and come pick up a hardback radio sticker we are radio book club aka hardback radio so we we definitely um, subscribe to both monikers and uh, are very proud of it. I do want to res- I want to uh, share a poem by Rebecca Elson called "Antidotes to Fear of Death." Sometimes, as an antidote to fear of death, I eat the stars. I love that line. I think I've even sh- shared this before, but. Those nights lying on my back, I suck them from the quenching dark till they are all, all inside me, pepper-hot and sharp. Sometimes, instead, I stir myself into a universe still young, still warm as blood. No outer space, just space, the light of all the not-yet-stars drifting like a bright mist, and all of us and everything already there, but unconstrained by form. And sometimes it's not enough to lie down here on the, on earth, beside our long ancestral bones, to walk across the cobble fields of our discarded skulls, each like tr- a treasure, like a chrysalis. Thinking, whatever left these husks flew off on bright wings. Rebecca Elson. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's phenomenal. That antidote. To fear of death sounds like a a great
2: antidote to your 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 nighttime fears your
1: know. nighttime fears. Yes, that's a
0: new.
2: <laughs> if only someone hadn't given that to me at the same time when I was three. <laughs>
0: here, here, darling. Yeah. Here, my love. I know this is going to scare you. So take this. So too. take t- take this medicine. <laughs> <laughs> this other set of words, uh, Alyssa. Anything? Um, And it can be, we can definitely move out into book review time. So what would you like to talk about?
2: I have just one more. Absolutely. Because a little bit later, I was not very old, maybe seven or eight, when the movie Sense and Sensibility came out Mm -hmm. with Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet. I don't know how I convinced My mother did take me to see that in the movie theater at a young age, but I did. Oh, of course you did. I did, and I saw it, and it was, there's so many scenes where they're reciting Shakespeare, where Marianne is reciting the sonnets, and I just thought they were, The most beautiful thing. And I wanted to be Mary Ann when I grew up so bad. (laughs) Let alone
0: a Shakespeare. Exactly. uh, Shakespeare himself. (laughs) Yes. And I
2: remember after that movie, picking up, like, asking over and over again for a book of all of the sonnets. And I would for sure not understand (laughs) that. But I read them all the time. And the one that is recited most often in that movie is sonnet uh, 116. Oh, let's hear it. Do you want the whole thing? Yes, the sonnets aren't that long. They're not that (laughs) long. It's true. So the sonnet 116 begins like this. Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. Love is not love, which alters when it alteration finds or bends with a remover to remove. Oh, no. It is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempest and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark, whose worth's unknown, although his height be taken. Love's not time's fool, though rosy lips and cheeks within his bending sickles compass come. Love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. If this be error and upon me proved, I never writ nor no man ever loved.
0: Mm. So many, so long ago, I think I, was it me who quoted myself, <laughs> <laughs> that sometimes you just want to eat those words? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, just, just yeah. eat them, just mm-hmm. like a big bowl of ice cream. That, that was all, this was all just a big bowl of ice cream. Um, and and I, I think that I would be remiss if I didn't at least read a little bit of Joy Harjo's new Catching the Light uh, and it's in the series of Why I Write. Patty mm-hmm. Smith's got one in there, Eileen Miles, you know, there's quite a few. It's this great little series called Why I Write. Um, and so this is a new one. And of course, in chapter 15, she says the most ubiquitous of poems are love poems. Mm-hmm. They are written to find another word for love, for the divine, the impossible, the ecstatically present. They are written to call one to oneself, a kind of shamanistic purpose, or when love has escaped or disappeared, to speak of love lost, broken, or the bereft floating in the sea of lostness. Can't can't get through without bringing a little Joy Harjo into the mix. Yeah, she's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, man,
1: where do you... Oh, don't get me started. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. And Ada
1: Limon is someone I discovered recently. She's now our Poet Laureate, I believe. Yes. She's a She's another tremendous... Uh, wow.
0: Yeah, and I, I just... I, I will mention I have a copy of... Um, Karina McGlynn's Fifty Things Kate Bush Taught Me About the Multiverse. and the, so yeah. good. Yes, so good. I think we're just on a roll here. We're just like, okay, and then you got to read this, and then you got to read this. But the first one, the first uh, poem in this collection, the title is, A Real Artist Makes Us Fall in Love with Ghosts, with the a little uh, quote, How could you leave me when I needed to possess you? which is Kate Bush's Wuthering Heights song. (laughs) Heathcliff, (laughs) it's me, I'm Kathy. (laughs) I just love that. (laughs) Okay, you got us singing. You got me singing. So you're all lucky to be live with us, KCMU Radio Book Club. We've been um, eating a big bowl of poetry and loving it and having fun and enjoying it. And I hope that this little bit of excitement is um, jumped right down into your soul and spirit and 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 uh, we'll offer you the chance to either go down a rabbit hole um, get online or uh, come find or go find the books and you know where to find them (laughs) because we have them we all have them Um, okay so let's go back to Jesse Jesse where do you want to go next
1: I have two books to talk about. The first one um, was uh, it is was called Bad Cree by Jessica Johns. It is um, a new wave horror, a kind of a haunting story of an indigenous young woman in uh, Alberta, Canada. She's left her family and moved to the big city. I think she's in Vancouver, and she starts having these really creepy dreams. Uh, her sister had died a few years before. She didn't attend the funeral because she just—it was too devastating um, to to do. But her sister starts coming to her in her dreams in a really creepy way. Mm. She starts waking up with elements from the dream physically present. Uh, a crow, a, de- a dead crow's head in one dream. Um, she's wet. She'll have dreams about this lake where they all hung out, and she'll wake up wet. So she. Um, Realizes that she needs to address this, and um, the only place... it gets so bad, they're so haunting and and debilitating that she she, she goes home. Um, it's a. It's not um it, it's not a typical like slasher horror at all. Um, it explores, it explores what um what grief and loss can do to a tight loving family to a community it explores what greed and exploitation does to a community um the the spirits that are attacking her in her dreams get more and more physical they call them um this is this this word has several different ways of being spelled or pronounced in different um native cultures but it's called they call it the wendigo we've heard of the wendigo which is the embodiment of greed and they prey upon people that have been weakened by um starvation whether that's uh, spiritual emotional or physical um or that have been exploited by greed in her community the tar sands mining has completely weakened the community there's money at first when they leave the landscape is completely devastated um there's all lots of drug addiction and alcoholism and uh, prostitution that goes on and it's um it's a it's a struggle, and and all of this has affected her her family in different ways. So, the the point I w- wanted to uh, discuss, though, um, this exp- exploration of generational trauma and um, the ways that families and communities have to come together to break harmful cycles. Mm. Um, she has a strong she her mother is really strong, and she has all of these aunties mm. and um, and a few sisters too there's a dad and there are brothers and there are men in the story, but they are peripheral. It is the women who come together and weave their strengths together to figure out what can be done to protect this young woman and the whole family and the whole community really. Um, and I, the, the book begins with a poem called auntie and I, I coincidentally had mm. wanted to read this anyway. Um, I just love, I love that, like myself, I have, I've chosen not to have children in life, but being an auntie to my uh, physical family, as well as just as uh, any children in my life, I love, I have a lot of nurturing and love and and fun to share. And so I take my job as auntie, magical auntie, kind of seriously. Mm. And so I really enjoyed that theme in this book. And these, these women keep their families together and keep their families whole they know when to give each other space they know when to push into each other's space Mm -hmm. and and break through walls to help one another and love one another so the poem is by an artist named etziu i believe she's a musical artist as well as a poet and the the poem is very simple it says auntie is a mood Hmm. auntie is spirit Auntie is prayer. Auntie is medicines. Auntie is dream. Auntie is hope. Auntie is smarten up. Auntie is feeling. Auntie is encouragement. Auntie keeps going. Auntie has no gender. Auntie saves lives. Embody Auntie. (laughs) Be Auntie. Say Auntie. And beautiful very simple but um what a perfect beginning to this book and i Mm. closed when i closed the last chapter and went back and read that a few times and i'm like yes yay for aunties beautiful it makes me i
0: was gonna say it makes me think of um braiding sweetgrass she talks about the what is it called the wind windigo Mm -hmm. windigo Mm -hmm. yeah she she spent a little time on that and the this idea that greed is we will not have greed here you know that that um those that um start being more greedy are are taken away from yeah. you know the community. It's yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah.
1: So Bad Cree by Jessica Johns has some really great, some great
0: auntie energy. Thank you. Yeah. Alyssa, what is sitting over there that beautiful uh, bluish, purplish cover? <laughs> it is. It is a beautiful <laughs> cover. And
2: I will say it just about every time we talk. I pick books by their their cover. cover. (laughs) (laughs) And so this cover, for sure, just with the silhouette of a child holding a star and all blue, um, definitely caught my eye first. Um, This is a juvenile reader's book that I just finished, um, and it's called Moonflower, and it's by Kaysen Callender, and it was such a beautiful fantasy like mm, fantasy realism book um that really tackled the um the experience of depression in childhood and the experience of maybe suicidal ideation um body dysmorphia and um, one of my favorite things about the book was that the child who's, um, n- whose name is, uh, is Moon, sorry, the child whose name is <laughs> Moon, um, you don't know this child's gender. And this child goes on these adventures into the spirit realm and uh, they keep entering the spirit realm because they don't want to be in our realm. And every spirit that they come across as a guide, none of those spirits are gendered either. Mm. And it's obviously a very important um, just uh, literary device that this author is using to kind of bring the point home of like how, how confusing it must be when when you are a child and everyone looks at you and says, this is the best time of your life. You're a kid and just have fun. Don't think so much about that. Don't worry so much about this. And even small humans are humans. Mm. You know, tiny humans have big emotions and this book just deals with so many big emotions in a really accessible way. And I would highly recommend it to anyone who is between the ages of say, nine and 12 but is it it a juvenile one okay so it's juvenile juvenile. okay yes okay so it's right at that reading level and any uh, personal experience of a child that or even just a child wanting to understand some of their friends it's it's beautiful and it's a really cool story but I'd also recommend it for parents Mm. Mm -hmm. I'd highly recommend it for parents because it just gives so much voice to this child and not just this child, some of the child's friends. And they, um, There's a period in the book where the child um, is saying, Moon is saying that they're disappearing. And they're always hiding. They're wearing a big sweatshirt. And of course it's a fantasy so they actually are disappearing in this world and so part of their hand starts to disappear starts with their fingers and it creeps up their arm and so they keep wearing like these big clothes so that no one will see that they're disappearing mm. and then another of their friends disappears for a day but no one notices except moon like it's it's wow. but it's just such a poignant view of what depression feels like like of being underwater or feeling like you don't exist mm. And it's really good.
0: You were talking earlier about this book and you mentioned the mother and I thought you said something really profound about the mother. And maybe you can share that a little bit about um actually she had a gender, obviously. Yes. Mm-hmm. Her experience trying to support this child. And yes. the experience of that.
2: So part of I mean, a good part of this book is also about um her relationship with moon Mm -hmm. and moon's relationship with her. And for a good portion of the book, moon doesn't speak Mm. verbally in our realm, but can speak kind of telepathically with the spirits in the spirit realm. Mm. So they're never ever using their voice until, you know, at least for the most part of the story. And so there are snippets from the mother's perspective and just loving so deeply their child moon, um, but not knowing what to do or how to do it and continuously putting like putting themselves out there to say, to say that she's there for them and that she loves them, but also feeling like it's not enough Mm. and just the struggle of that. And, um, it brings in issues of generational trauma. It's just like for such a small book, it's, so powerful. Wow.
0: Well, is this, do you know if this is a first uh, book author? No, do we know? it's not. No. Okay. Case
2: and calendar has um, actually won a national book award okay. for King and the dragonflies. Okay. Which is another juvenile reader book. Wonderful. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. You know, that idea of uh, if we can't find our voice, we feel we don't feel like we exist mm-hmm. and trying to, especially for the juvenile age or the Z generation like how how, where are they finding their voice mm-hmm. um, this is kind of an interesting with it's like all the things we, we tend to kind of find this synergy with each other without even knowing it the book that I want to mention it's actually a friend of mine she's a Utah poet and she's just come out with her first collection of poetry uh, she lives down in Cedar City, Utah, and is the managing editor of the Sugar House Review. And her uh, newest book is called This Was Once Underwater. And the collection is quite extraordinary, because she there's uh, the, the characters, I guess, in this book, there's an alien, there's a woman, there's a monster, and there's the Great Salt Lake. And so kind of in this time where the Great Salt Lake is is up in the news and we're tr- trying to figure out whether this lake and us and Salt Lake in general is going to be OK, um, her book has just recently been released. And um, one of those poems is called, The Great Salt Lake Has Been Shrinking Since the Rounding of the Last Ice Age. And I'm just going to read a couple of lines. The monster has lasted centuries with little light in one place. This lake once spanned hundreds of monsters, millions of gallons to roam. Now he has a small city, a village deep enough to safely travel. He doesn't mind much, but wonders about humans and sun. So that's kind of just a little taste of Natalie Young. I don't think I even mentioned her name. Her name is Natalie Young um just first just released uh, her first collection of poetry and we proudly call her a utah poet and the title is all of this was once underwater um i also wanted to mention while i was at the conference uh there i got really excited and i mentioned this already but i just wanted to say um i got so excited about the the genre that is uh, lyric the lyric essay and so i came home and uh, there's a a collection of lyrical essays. And if you're wondering kind of what, what kind of constitutes a lyric essay, of course it's, it's creative nonfiction, but it's this amalgamation of poetry, memoir, and, uh, and really essay. And what they're doing in this genre is super experimental. And the, um, when I went to the lecture, their whole point was we we it we aren't necessarily writing to know. We have the question, and we're going to try and get there. But if we don't, that's okay, too. I thought that was beautiful. So I do want to mention a collection that's just out from Wayne State University Press, actually. It's called The Lyric Essay, As Resistance, Truth from the Margins edited by Zoe Bossier, Bossier and Eric, Erica Trebold. And there's just some incredible just experiments with words in here. A lot of memoir uh, coming in from, you know, all sorts of stories, origin stories. Of course, um, you know, it shows up as nonfiction. But, you know, at the at the essence of this is metaphor. And so... Uh, I just want to mention that the lyric essay as resistance. Okay, we have a flash round left to us, uh, Jesse. What's what's your flash?
1: <laughs> All right, the library just procured two books. I want to recommend these are art books. Um, there is th- they're both by uh, S Elizabeth. The first one is called The Art of Darkness: A Treasury of the Morbid, Melancholic, and Macabre. And they this is ju- this book is just full of dark art classical to modern a lot of classical but it's not really uh sensationalized it's not slasher horror uh introduction in praise of the shadow um quote from rebecca solnit right in the beginning leave the door open for the unknown the door into the dark and that's where the most important things come from Hmm. so it's divided up into very thoughtful sections with uh essays attending um uh, the, all of this art I found it really really fascinating this uh, same person s elizabeth also um, uh, wrote the uh, art it's the art of the occult and it is similarly very very thoughtful um, and and fascinating uh, but I think it's like a collection of art for the modern mystic I think is what it what it says and uh, very, very beautiful, well thought out, well well put together, and worth a look-see. Art of Darkness and the Art of the Occult by S. Elizabeth to be found at the
2: library.
0: Excellent. Alyssa, give us a minute.
2: Okay, as fast as I can. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> the book that I have begun is called uh, What We Owe the Future, mm-hmm. and it's by uh, William McCaskill. And very simply... He he begins the book by asking you to imagine that every human life that has ever existed since the beginning of humanity, you lived yourself. And that means if that's the case, then you will live every human life that is still to come. And if you start from there, then the truth is if we as mammals, our kind of empire, a reign of empire, whatever, um, will last for roughly a million years before... It switches over to whatever is the next reigning mammal. So if that's the case, all of the lives that you would live in the future are still so much more. We're basically where we are now, the ancients. Mm. And so if that is the case, then what choices would you make? If you are going to live every single life after this one mm. and every generation and every iteration of our human existence, what choices will you make now? so that you can ensure that the future will not be catastrophic and horrendous. Right.
0: And who's that again?
2: William McCaskill.
0: William McCaskill, What We Owe the Future. Amazing. Thank you. And then finally, uh, because uh, this author is the lyric essayist of all lyric essayists and has been doing it for many years, and I really feel like, in a way, she she took me by way of well, really she she brought me into poetry uh, pretty deeply, and that's Anne Carson. Two books I want to mention: *Eros*, *The Bittersweet*, um, a, a, a collection of essays that uh, kind of build um, meditations on love <coughs> in ancient Greek literature, uh, including Sappho. And then one I found recently incredible. It's called Norma Jean Baker of Troy by Ann Carson, a smallest little book. I just love these little pocket-sized books. And she's literally uh, mushing together Troy, you know, the Greek story in Troy, with um, Marilyn Monroe. So it's uh, only Ann Carson can do that kind of a mashup. Love her Okay, so we have done it again, my friends. <clears throat> we, it goes so fast. We bring countless titles. We get through most of them, maybe not, <laughs> but we have fun doing it. Thanks for listening so much. Of course, you can find uh, the, the titles of these uh, books on the library website. And that's uh, Grand County. What is it again? Grand County? Uh, moablibrary.org. Okay, oh, yeah, moablibrary.org. And then um, you can listen to this episode of Radio Book Club on our archives. All of KZMU's shows are automatically archived for two weeks under the archives tab at KZMU.org. And then Radio Book Club is available on KZMU Public Affairs Podcast. Um, Find past episodes of Radio Book Club and other public affairs shows wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are uploaded on Fridays. All right. Thank you, my friends. And we've done it. And bye-bye.
1: Good night.
2: You can hear Radio Book Club live on the KZMU airwaves every first Monday of the month at 5 p.m. Find archives and book mentions at kzmu.org.